0: You're listening to Discography Discussion, episode 195, Training for Utopia, versus Tantrum of the Muse. Hosted by Dan Terry. But I watched Reefer Nation when
1: I was like 13. Shut up, Dad. Mike Yaney. No one ever cares for Pelpy. No one ever asks him how his day was. And Joseph Wren. Thank you for playing. You host
0: this fucking show.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's good hydration.
0: Presented by DiscussMetal.com. And if you throw a wrench in the machine, then find out the Muse is the machine. Then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe. That is Dan. That is Mike. We're going to war. Training for Utopia. Tantrum of the Muse. One hardcore as fuck.
2: The other one, I don't even know what you call it. The other one is as fuck. (laughs) Uh, These are two bands that I felt would be really great uh, to do kind of the compare contrast thing. A couple of examples of how people have described our previous versus episodes. Totally unfair. I'm very offended. Apples to oranges. What the actual fuck? So um, I really enjoy getting those types of extreme reactions out of people. Uh, So I picked the two most insane bands that I could think of. The kind of bands that when I listen to them, I don't feel a hundred percent comfortable with what I'm hearing, and uh, it actually can become very, very, very creepy in its own way uh, as it goes. And uh, you know, when we are talking about stuff like this, um, sometimes I feel like it's best to bring in somebody that you know finds a finds a certain amount of fascination with music like this, and that would be our buddy Mike from Movie Mosh. What's going on with you tonight, Mike? Hey yo, let the weirdest flow what's up
1: definitely oh the weirdness will flow i'm going to mangle the weirdness and then serve it for dinner i mean that just makes it more weird so (laughs) you just make it more like itself (laughs) you guys like head cheese my grandpa (sighs) makes it real good
2: you always said grandpa's the best all right yeah okay okay yeah so what we're going to be comparing and contrasting tonight is we're going to talk about the two tantrum records we're going to talk about the two tfu records And at the end of it, we're going to decide which band we think is positively the most unhinged out of the two. And of course, everything that we say tonight is 100% our opinion. If you disagree with what our opinion is, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. But if you can find somebody else who has the same opinion as you, they're going to tell you that you're right. So it's a win-win. It's almost like music
1: is ultimately subjective or something.
2: I know, right? Like there's no real definitive answer for these questions that we're bringing up and answering, but if you I'm ask me with myself later, <laughs> yeah, if you ask me, I will tell you that I am the definitive musical opinion. But definitive. the good, the good thing, the good thing about the world that we live in now, though, is you—you know—you don't actually have to listen to me. So
0: <laughs> you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Discord, <laughs> Twitch, live. You can tell us how wrong we are, and. The discussion will continue that seems to be
2: the trend of this year right absolutely man i w- my favorite feedback that i get on this show is hey man love the show love what you guys are doing you're completely wrong about this it, there's always that there's always that jab uh at the very end of it and uh I, again i i like getting jabbed that's right
1: i said it this is typical typical metalhead response actually Actually, we're some Trekkies.
0: Can we have a live show the first of the year where all we do is read the thanks a lot, but you're wrong feedback? Just invite everybody to the fucking broadcast and they can tell us how wrong we are. And two hours later,
2: you're still going to think they're wrong. A lot of YouTubers do that where they only read negative feedback like for an hour. And then by the end of it, they're like in tears. And they're like, well, guess it's time to hang
1: it up then. (laughs) No, no, you need to get the... You need to get enough surreal comments, like just something that makes absolutely no sense. Well, That's speaking stuff.
2: Speaking of surreal, why don't we jump in and talk about Training for Utopia? Their two albums, both of these bands came, you know, came out roughly around the same time. Uh, I think, uh, as we just established before we started recording, was that uh, Training for Utopia does get the edge for being the band that showed up first, forming in. Good old 1996. This is the original Clark Brothers band featuring Ryan Clark and Don Clark, who would later go on to form the band Demon Hunter.
0: One of my favorite things about these brothers, and most of this comes from Demon Hunter behind the scenes in the studio videos that would come out later. There was a good portion of this band and Demon Hunter where they just go into the studio and what they come out with is way better than it should be for two guys just putting it together. I don't know, so I'm going to ask you, was Training for Utopia the same? Was it just the Clark Brothers in the studio writing the songs? Or was this pre we have access to technology and we have to write some intense freaking hardcore?
2: Uh, I think it was the second one. Uh, And I say that because uh, back when this band started, so originally Don Clark was in a band called Training for Utopia, and Ryan Clark was playing guitar for another band called uh, Focal Point. And eventually when Focal Point broke up, Don Clark ended up asking Ryan if he wanted to come sing for his band Training for Utopia. So Training for Utopia was like, uh, for lack of a better term, an actual band. Like... (laughs) um guys got in a room they created you know swirling vortexes of music and uh we're lucky enough to be able to put that to tape a couple of times uh before ultimately calling it quits at this point i guess we'll just take it around the table and say uh what is our own personal experiences with training for utopia i know none of us saw them live so you know none of that shit oh yeah i think it was back when i saw them live in 1998 i was at a skate park (laughs) i was (laughs) <laughs> nine years old and i uh, entered my first mosh pit where i killed a man uh but you know i know a lot of our histories on some of these bands are um very incestuous as far as one of us going over to another one's house with the cd and being like oh my god listen to this
0: i'm glad you brought that up because mine was dan terry showing up with a split ep saying this is the best version of skin like winter it has ryan clark from demon hunter on it it also has songs by training for utopia and i asked the question isn't that the same guy in both demon hunter and training for utopia And Dan said, well, yes, yes, it was. And in my opinion, Training for Utopia was the better band. It took me 15 years to get access to those records to actually confirm whether or not he was correct.
2: Well, it just depends, I guess, on what your perspective is. And we're not going to we're not going to shit all over Demon Hunter. We did that already. Um, But Training for Utopia, for the first time I heard them was, yeah, with the Zeo split EP um, a friend of ours named Tom had a, uh, he, I think he was the one that bought the EP and then, uh, you know, we, we all got to hear it. And then we started looking into training for utopia. So the first thing I got was actually a tape of uh, cause I was at cornerstone and I got, uh, a whole, like a huge deal on tapes. I was, they were basically selling tapes for next to nothing, uh, versus the CD version. So I was like, Oh, fuck it. I'll just get the tapes. Uh, and so this album was in there. I just remember being like, Oh, cool, Training for Utopia. Like, I'd heard the band from the EP, but uh, this was a lot different. This, uh, this had like a mutilated Ken doll on the cover of it. Um, it was scary and uh, it looked awesome. So,
1: that's uh, that's that's my history with TFU. What about you, Mike? I mean, you talk about incestuous, it's definitely true. I think you yeah. showed it to me a while, like not too long after high school, and it was uh, Yeah, I remember really liking the energy. It was fast. Plastic Soul Impalement and Throwing a Wrench were both really, really cool. I remember liking Throwing a Wrench way more at the time, and that's kind of stuck with me just because that chaotic energy, that almost industrial, like there's a genre mishmash going on there that I've always found really nice. So, Absolutely. Well, let's get into it.
0: 1998, Plastic Soul Impalement.
2: (laughs) Good old Plastic Soul Impalement. Uh, first of all, amazing name for a CD, uh, especially, you know, back in 1998, It's exactly what you needed. Uh, train for utopia was kind of that band where if you look at the other bands that were out in 1998, uh, in that scene, you've got embodiment, you've got Zayo, uh, living sacrifice. And those guys were very, 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 very serious. Like, music is serious business. It's not fun. It doesn't have a swing. It doesn't have a swagger. Um, And I think Training for Utopia showed off kind of a little bit of a dark sense of humor, you know, with the Ken doll on the cover mutilated and um, just calling it plastic soul impalement. And what's interesting about Training for Utopia is, you know, you might be listening to modern day Demon Hunter and being like, you know, sometimes this guy's lyrics come across as kind of bitter and a little bit sarcastic. Uh, and you might want to be wondering where that comes from. Well, that absolutely comes from *Training for Utopia*. So you know, you take the lyrics of a of, of a Christian hardcore band from that time period, and but you mix it with a whole bunch of self-loathing and um, a general distaste. For people that you are perceiving to be wrong about something and that was kind of the the lyrical basis but as far as the way this thing sounds you know if you've ever been looking at a tooth and nail or solid state release and at the bottom you see like copyright whatever year spinning audio vortex uh this is a band that literally sounds like that a a spinning audio vortex they make noise i think they called it uh they self-called it uh spaz core uh and I'm glad that's I'm really glad that's a name that didn't take off. Uh but <laughs> it's uh I just feel like a total idiot. Him is really into Spazcore, you know. It sounds as random as it looks.
1: Yeah. So Those this is... people didn't take stuff like that seriously. No, too. not at all. Yeah, it's, now you're that's saying the the micro mean. genres.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We we had a whole conversation about Viking metal on uh on <laughs> Discord the other day. So uh you know Shout out to the Satanic Puppy. Um, But I do think that, like, this was probably the most different sounding Solid State hardcore record uh, that had come out at that time. I mean, past the initial shock of Zeo, you know, is sounding the way they ended up sounding. But like with Training for Utopia, they were kind of the first like chaos uh, or, or as we usually refer to them as like a chaotic hardcore band. They were kind of the first ones that were really doing this style uh, as early as they were. And uh, I think the result is really cool. This record is full of all kinds of creepy ambient interludes, uh, usually with Ryan Clark rambling some crazy weird shit in the background. And um, But the screams are intense. The lyrics are dead serious, but are also very kind of sarcastic and dark and like as a complete package it almost has no business being a Christian hardcore record in the sense that it's not super uplifting uh, in, in any sense no. of the word.
0: So are you telling me this is the actual origin story of chaotic hardcore
2: in the mainstream perspective? Maybe for no. the Christian I'd imagine. Yes, Mike, exactly you like hit it right on the head. In the Christian scene, absolutely uh, in the secular scene you already had Converge and Dead Guy and and botch and coalesque and like all of those types of bands uh that were doing a similar style to this but as far as christian music goes yeah there was kind of really nothing going on that was like this uh at that time uh but i mean to be honest with you though i don't necessarily think that tfu was like the breakthrough band uh like for for whatever reason they don't hold uh they don't hold classic status with everybody um uh, for a lot of people they're almost just a footnote of like oh yeah these guys uh these guys went on to form demon hunter You know, uh, and I mean, in my opinion, a downgrade for sure, but, uh, I also like money. Uh, I also like to pay my bills, (laughs) so, you know, I'm not going to like really be upset about that, but, uh, this record is, uh, I mean, it's pretty damn close to perfect for, for what it's trying to, what it's set out to achieve.
0: I'm not entirely into what this record was trying to achieve, but I respect that this band put together a full-length record of what was otherwise chaotic, hardcore, dissonant, play the guitar, make the noises, play the drums, scream, talk. The formula of chaotic hardcore is there, but this suffers from I've heard it so many times, I'm not sure what's unique about it. It is the origin in the Christian music scene, I'll give it that. But I've heard this done so much better by other bands. I question how important it is in the lineage of Chaotic Hardcore. I'm not just
1: really sure I know what exactly they're going for overall. I mean, musically, it's pretty straightforward. Lyrically, sometimes I find myself just looking through the lyrics. I'm thinking, dude, her hurt you. Like, especially (laughs) the, uh, let me see. Good example of what I'm talking about would have to be a single-handed attempted revolution, which is basically one big... MySpace angry note at someone. And I believe that someone from what I remember, wasn't that Marilyn Manson he was ranting against? There were some things that, yeah,
2: well, at first I think it was all directed at one person, but then as it went on uh, and got more angry, uh, he kind of just started taking pot shots at everyone uh, that, <laughs> that he could think of. And um, not, not since we talked about Under Oath on this show, uh, have I looked at a set of lyrics from a Christian hardcore band from that era and been like, "Oof, um, yeah, you know"? Comes off as very petty. It, it does, and but I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt to explain it as as well as I can, uh, in the sense that you know a lot of these bands, especially at this time, this is pre 2000, so this whole like metalcore thing, hardcore thing that that was going to become popular like five or six years later. Uh, it was really wasn't quite there yet. And bands like this that were in this scene were not taken seriously by, by the scene at large. Um, and a lot of that has to do with just stereotypes about how Christian musicians can't put out good music, uh, which is not objectively true. If you compare the amount of shitty Christian bands to the amount of shitty non-christian bands the the sure there's more music in the in the mainstream market but if you look at what the actual ratio is versus good bands to bad bands it's about the same right um but here you've got you've got a guy that has to make a very strong in your face proclamation of faith because this sort of music didn't really exist in christian music in, in, in any form that's recordable uh, to this point,
0: and this was the time when the extreme
2: profession of faith was a requirement to be on the stage. Well, sure, because you're establishing a style of music to be, you, you're establishing that what you're doing is valid and that it is a thing, right? Um, can I can I really go in and de- and and defend certain statements of like you've been wrong this whole time? you know, your book of Satan, your book of Mormon, you know, your Quran, they've been wrong this whole time. You, like that, that sort of stuff definitely comes across, uh, it's kind of hard to digest, uh, now, <laughs> you know, but I mean, back when we were all youth group kids, we were all about it, you know? So, uh, oh, I'm yeah. not, gonna. Oh, I'm not, gonna. That. yeah, well, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like shit on them
1: for doing exactly what I would have done that year. Uh, <laughs> you know, True. um, I mean, I've come a long, long way from that kind of stuff, so I guess it's, you know, the value of hindsight.
2: Yeah, it's hard to har- try.
1: Go ahead. And also just having, not sharing a lot of those same beliefs from the outside looking in at this point. It looks very childish, but at the time, it made a lot more sense. The proclamation of faith, denunciation of the enemy's creeds, all, of course, if you're struggling for uh, acceptance in any scene, you want to make sure that everyone knows what side you're on, right? Yeah, and honestly, all of that stuff existed in Demon Hunter, but it's done much more... um, Subtly. Yes, much more palatable, I guess. Which is funny, because I never really would describe Demon Hunter Hunter as subtle, necessarily, but the lyrics are a lot less on the nose in many areas. Yeah, they're a little bit more poetic. He's a better lyric writer than
2: he used to be. Uh, This was just an angry, angsty teen that was in a crazy heavy band and wanted to make crazy heavy statements to back it up. Um, and so, I mean, in that sense, uh, it is just as respectable as earth crisis screaming veganism at you at the, you know, Oh yeah. <laughs> so like, I, I definitely see it that way. Veganism, I think on the whole is less offensive. Uh, so there's that, but I do think that like, I guess it depends on who you ask. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, the single-handed attempt to at revolution, not exactly, um, Not exactly Christian music's finest moment, Um, but uh, it's still better than Under Oath's, like you should have thought about the baby before you had sex uh, type of lyrics. Uh, So, I mean, I think I still really, really enjoy this record. But um, to Joe's point, I do think that this does sound decidedly different than like a Norma Jean or, uh, you know, or a Chariot or even a Converge or something like that. They really do have a very original sound in that I have not ever really heard another band that sounds like Training for Utopia, uh, and that's on both records, despite how different both of these records actually sound. Uh, but like even on this one, I've never really heard anything that sounds really kind of how they were doing things. Uh, the only other band I can think of that even comes close is like a Spitfire.
0: Are we ready to throw a wrench in the American music machine? Yeah! Huh. <laughs>
2: so this is where the shit starts getting really good 1999 so if a record can sound can sound sarcastic this record sounds sarcastic and it sounds to me from from everything that i've gathered about this record that they sat down and basically created a record just like like they basically sat down and made plastic soul impalement part two right and then they went in and they gave the music to a guy that was like, oh, I think we should remix this and add it and add a bunch of loops and samples and, and, and stuff and mix this like industrial sound into this, the hardcore sound that you guys are doing. And that ended up being the record.
0: Was this the first hardcore influenced record that took advantage of the industrial mashup sound that was really popular at that time? Throughout I don't know. the popularity of new metal, you had a lot of bands like Nine Inch Nails, Deadsy, orgies the big one that comes to mind, Union Underground. They were all trying to do that partial industrial thing and incorporate those electronic elements. I really think this is the first time an independent artist, because that's really what they were, had that same tinge put on their music. I can't think of another example that came out earlier that took advantage of the same thing. Because when you talk about like a clank or a circle of dust, that's a different animal. That's music written with an industrial mindset, not a hardcore mindset with remixes.
1: I want to say there's a lot of bands out there that kind of predate it, but I've fallen out of listening to that genre for so long. <laughs> it's really, uh, I'm going to have to dig into my. Curiosity cabinet to find anything that's going to put that argument forward. But I don't really think it's that unique sounding overall. But one thing that really sets TFU apart, I think, is not necessarily the industrial stuff, but the nice kind of ambient overlay. No matter how chaotic it gets, there's always a bit of weird melody, a bit of, you know, something almost symphonic to it. But
2: this record has uh, a lot more like swagger to it than. Than plastic soul impalement, whereas that record was a little bit more serious. This one's a little bit more fun, a little bit more like we're just gonna we're we're obviously on the nose, going out of our way to try to sound cool and different, you know. Uh, and this would have been for that year, uh, like very different sounding. Um, lyrics though, lyrics are all over the place, very strange on this record, and there's a lot of like conflicting. Um, there's a lot of conflicting emotion, emotions, like, uh, not emotions, that's not really the right word, but there's a lot of conflicting themes from what you're hearing versus what's actually being said. He's not saying something different, but he's creating it. He, 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 on this record, he does this several times where he creates a mood with the music and with the melody of the song. But when you actually read the lyrics, it's like so contradictory uh, to what's going on musically that it's like it's almost like a, a musical double take. And, uh, and the best uh, the best example that I have for that is the song Everything, Including the Stars is Falling, Baby. Uh, I was just about to say uh, that myself. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's, uh... so it's, yeah, it's a, it's a very beautiful acoustic piece. Uh, Ryan Clark, as we all know, is a very skilled, clean vocalist as well as a screaming guy. Uh, And it's like so like like It sounds like something you would have heard on the radio, like 1030 at night, driving through Middle America, like driving through the Bible Belt on the local alternative rock station. Uh, And it sounds like a love song. And then you actually listen to what he's saying. And I'm going to actually welcome back to the return of Dan Reed's lyrics on the podcast. It's Um, been a long time. So he says, uh, I'll forget what you said to me. Just pretend didn't mean anything. If I could clamp you shut, maybe I just would. I'd leave you quiet for days. Would that do any good? Uh, He goes, you don't know when to shut your mouth. You keep on rambling around. If I could hold you down, maybe I just would. On your face for days. Would that do any good? (laughs) I'm like, holy shit, Ryan Clark. Miracle dissonance.
1: (laughs) Dr.
0: Frankenstein, I bought the bolts and the metal pieces that you wanted to bolt the monster's mouth shut. Will this work? This is just
2: New York City is overrated. Uh, the next one where like the dude's just gonna be petty enough to write an entire song about how he played a fucking show in New York and got ripped off. But he does it, it's so hilarious. Listen to that, he's like, he's like three hundred dollars! You know, yes, what i will pay. You know, somehow I feel like you're bluffing. Hand me the money. <laughs> hand me the money i mean it's just we're all, we're like they're not even recognizable as the band that put out the last record and that right. that's what i think is funny about it is that like it's all the same dudes as far as i know and but they they've crafted something much more original and much more memorable with this record uh, more so than the first but whereas i how i said the first record absolutely accomplishes what it set out to do This record absolutely accomplishes something, but I have no
1: clue what they set out to do here. It's a big middle finger. It's a fuck you. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a certain... fuck you to multiple things. Multiple people will probably know.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and what I think is really funny about this record, too, is that it it parallels uh, whenever we're going to be talking about Tantrum here in a little while um how they had training for utopia has you know throwing a wrench in the uh see on spotify it doesn't show me the actual name of the whole album so so for this record the in full it says just says throwing a wrench on spotify but the actual cd says throwing a wrench into the american music machine and then we're going to have um tantrum here in a little bit with their modern music and um They even have a song called Screw the Christian Music Industry. (laughs) So like, you know, uh, there is a parallel there. And uh, I didn't just pick these because they both, you know, start with T and it's a great alliteration. But uh, (laughs) like, I do think that like this record is wholly unique and actually succeeds at being different and weird than the first record did. But I do like how unhinged this still is. Uh, But it's also like with a big wink, whereas I feel like the first record was kind of uber serious. This one kind of slows that down a little bit and um, goes a little bit more for the sarcastic, goes for the cheap shot. You know, these guys are crazy, just straight up crazy. The lyrical dissonance, as Mike so eloquently put it, is very strong with this band. And I almost get more
1: of a chaotic feeling from that than I necessarily do the music itself. I mean, what's more to add? I definitely, I, think I still like Plastic Soul Impalement. It's a good, solid hardcore album, but you're talking like multiple other bands that do the same thing, some of them better. Plastic Soul Impalement uh, is good, but uh, throwing a wrench is usually what I think of when I think of TFU because it's relatively unique. It's got that nice little, like, that crunch followed by that weird looping sound, that 808 beat followed by static. And then just, Wah! so, yep. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's, there's bands that do stuff like that, but that album just nails that sound for me. So it, it it's in rotation, shows up every few months in my car. So what more to say? Oh, I've got plenty to say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, before we ask the muse for the real head cheese recipe, I'm going to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything discography discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We are on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse ask it to play the latest episode of the discography discussion podcast and it will we're also on facebook and on twitter at discuss metal be sure to like favorite and subscribe it really helps us out it lets us know you're listening and now dan is going to tell us all about five star reviews well i do
2: enjoy my five star reviews here and there uh whenever we get them we read them even if they're not five stars we usually read them i don't care leave us a review however you can leave us one The other cool thing is sharing the episode. Sharing is absolutely caring, and it is so generic because it is so true. Uh, Sharing the episodes is awesome. Thank you guys so much for sharing the episodes and uh, getting people into the podcast that would have never given it a chance before you strapped them down to a chair and made them listen.
0: It's a little late in the month, so I'm going to go ahead and say thank you to Luke Robinson, our latest Patreon subscriber.
2: Yes. Luke, thank you so much, man. Uh, we will be, uh, definitely talking to you soon. We've Joe and I've had been talking about a lot of different things to do with the Patreon. We're coming up with some cool stuff for you guys, uh, that, that goes beyond just, uh, us leaving you guys, the, the weekly reviews and stuff. We, we just released a Patreon special, uh, with John Drake of the nerve herder console podcast, uh, so if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can listen to that right now. And uh, we would definitely want to do more stuff like that, maybe do some live, of, some exclusive live events, hangouts, stuff like that. Whatever we can do digitally, unfortunately, because there are evil germs trying to kill us every second that we're alive, uh, which I experienced earlier this week. So, uh, yeah, I feel you.
0: Also, shout out to Heil Sound and their glorious Finn microphones. If you guys love the way the podcast has been sounding lately, let us know.
2: I know nobody can see that, but God damn, I love this microphone. <laughs> Yours is glowing blue. It is blue and chrome. I mean, Joe's Darth Vader. He has the, he has the red glow. I've got the blue glow. Never found, never thought I'd find myself as the good guy on that e- end of the equation.
0: Yes, you would Batman.
2: All right. Well, training for utopia was pretty crazy, right guys? They were a little crazy. I mean, humor, humor me
0: when you're doing chaotic <laughs> hardcore. Eventually it just kind of sounds normal to me.
1: Yeah, it's. Exactly. When crazy is just everywhere, I mean, that's normal. Someone's just going to be like, hey, guys, let's tone it down. That's crazy. How do you out crazy a band like Training for Utopia? You find the muse, you don't
0: change his diaper, and you wait for him to throw a tantrum.
2: Well, I was just going to say the secret to being crazier than training for Utopia is to be Steven Sorrow.
1: (laughs) Uh, watch loads and loads of cult films and splice them into everything that you do. And it's beautiful. This is the story of
2: the happiest man in the world. (laughs) So we're going to, so I'm not by any means, this is not a heaviness contest. This is not a pissing contest on which band is heavier. Uh, I'm just more concerned with which band I feel is the most unhinged. Uh, (laughs) And um, honestly, tantrum of the Muse, kind of a different side of the coin as they are going to be approaching this less from a heaviness perspective or an extreme music perspective and more of like that crazy indie. Uh, It's kind of like how I always tell people I like Screamo and they're like, oh, okay. well, this guy's clearly a moron that likes bands like My Chemical Romance. And that's not actually what I mean whenever I say that my favorite types of screamo or emo bands sound more like grindcore bands. That's almost kind of more where Tantrum of the Muse is. Uh, They are a band that I would really describe
1: as at their base, punk rock band, some alternative influences. That's fair. It's definitely got a lot of punk energy.
2: They've got that punk rock energy. Uh, but what makes it interesting is it's a punk rock band if the lead singer is a total psychopath.
1: Because what happens
2: is, is you go from more catchy songs... Well, no, you know what? I'm not setting this up right. So their first record, probably one of my favorite names for a record of all time. you want to say it, Joe, or you want me to say it?
0: 1999, The Heart is a Two-Headed Sperm.
2: Record literally starts off with a guy who goes... Hey, everybody, let's go do things set to popular music. And then you are just absolutely assaulted (laughs) by dissonant guitars, weird group chants. It's not even like screaming. It's not like screaming in like like a hardcore sense. It's just like a bunch of dudes yelling in a room in this creepy ass rhythmic fashion, which then eventually culminates in a chainsaw going off as you hear people screaming as they are presumably being torn to pieces. Not what I was expecting to hear the first time I listened to this record, <laughs> because it
1: literally just said tantrum to the muse. The heart is a two headed sperm punk. As punk. Uh, there's a lot of very extreme versions of punk out there in that way. I don't think that tantrum is, is like so very, very different not to say that just because something sounds like something else that's bad. Cause they do it very well, I think, but I don't really think it's as weird as T.F.U. as far as weirdness meter goes, at least, <laughs> A few tracks stand out, but I don't know. I feel like I've only listened to a few, to these albums a few times recently. Maybe I just need to let it sink in. I disagree
0: that the record is not as random. There is a line very hard to define between random, chaotic, and a solid attempt at artistic expression that may or may not be executed effectively, depending on your personal view of what music is supposed to sound like. It is highly hypocritical of me to say that Training for Utopia, even though it's chaotic hardcore, basically sounds par for the course because I've heard other people do it. Tantrum of the Muse is like Captain Beefheart versus The Clash, in my opinion. It is so freaking random, it would be very easy For a music purist to point out all of the idiosyncrasies, inconsistencies, the lack of consistent, the lack of proper tuning, the lack of melodic anything, but there's something about it, as obscure and insane as it sounds, the band gets away with it because they put it together in a fashion that actually keeps you interested throughout the record. It's
1: their energy. There's a lot of that that big dick punk energy to it, which I know that they would probably protest considering the uh, lyrical content. But yeah, I'm gonna say it: big dick punk energy. Well,
2: what's interesting is that like you've got a what I would consider to be a, a very energetic frontman and a very charismatic frontman. And by charismatic, I mean he gives me the fucking creeps on this record. <laughs> uh because there's a song where and I I know Steven's listening to this, so I'm gonna say as many things as I can to make him feel bad about himself as I can. <laughs> but like I think that like <laughs> I think that like what really sells this record for me is you know how they'll they'll seamlessly switch from uh like th- there's a song called uh Hell is at the Bottom of the Rainbow which is basically like a pop punk song at the beginning. It's did Like, it's very, very pretty uh, Steven singing or whatever, but then it eventually just completely falls apart by the end of the song. Like you get, you get about a good two and a half minute pop punk song out of it before they start doing the tantrum thing. And, Suddenly he's not singing anymore. He's 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 screaming, and everything's getting faster and crazier, faster and crazier. Then it fucking stops, and then it goes into this like almost doom riff, and then builds up again, goes crazy. Uh, like it's 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 one of those. I'm literally going to let every single band that's ever influenced me influence me all within one song.
0: Did Steven ever say he was the band leader in the traditional sense, like a Josh Scugan? Or like a Frank Zappa.
2: No. I mean, I, I I probably wouldn't talk to Steven if he said things like that about himself. But <laughs> I, I do I do think that as far as the lyrical content and the overall tone, I would I would credit that to him if only because I've heard his other music and it gives off the same vibe when the same other people are not as involved. So I think it's a question that answers itself if you just listen. But he's so good at using unconventional sounds. Eli obviously uses a lot of sound clips and samples, um, but like the content is so unlike so like, you know, we were talking about making fun of Under Oath and kind of making fun of Training for Utopia for having that kind of like Christian lingo and doing the thing that Christian bands do where they make huge statements that are very polarizing. Uh, to people, and then all their supporters are like, "Yeah, that guy's doing it right." Tantrum, on the other hand, is the kind of band that your parents, as soon as they saw the CD and heard you listening to it, would take it away immediately. Uh, very. The heart is a two-headed sperm. Uh, there's a song where he's all. Uh, I think it's the Devil's House of Techno, where he's all like, starts it off with a uh, with a sound clip where he's all like, you know, uh, they would like to take, you know, he would like to take Kate out, you know, but where would they go? What would they do? How about a weenie roast? you know like 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 just this this crazy weird stuff and then he'll say and then in the song he's like now we're finally married i'll devote my lusting to you and then he gets in there and he's all like no. <laughs> like that that kind of shit does not exist in christian rock <laughs> like that is no it's and, and he's very passionate and he he has he does Share the same message as those bands that we're talking about it, but he approaches it with a realness that I feel like I, that I feel like bands bands from this scene really don't do, and that's how these guys built up a reputation in this kind of underground scene as being these like total whack jobs, you know. Like there there's tour stories about them supposedly setting people on fire on tour and doing all, and of course uh, when when we did our disgust metal interview with Steven Uh, He's like, yeah, most of that was largely bullshit, you know, but uh, this is how they got their reputation for just being insane. Their live shows were insane. I mean, instruments thrown all over the room, just 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 whatever you could do to make a
1: giant spectacle of yourself. That's what these guys did. That's they they rode on that. What's coming from that is like if you're playing a venue where there's basically everyone else is sounding like skillet, you're going to stand out. (laughs) Your people are going to be like, oh, We've got to be afraid of those people.
0: Well, I asked the question earlier, not because I'm trying to praise Steven or tear him down because maybe his ego is too fucking big. That's why the band wasn't around very long. Not saying any of that. But I asked the question because...
1: (laughs) You just said it.
0: (laughs) One of the most consistent factors I find with those type of bands, the truly artistic we're going to lay this down as quickly as possible, or really, I'm here to motivate the band to create art. It doesn't always sound perfect, but it always sounds interesting. And Tantrum of the Muse has that same interesting quality that comes from like a Frank Zappa, where it sounds a little sloppy, even though the band was extremely well rehearsed. The Chariot would be the best example I can come up with in hardcore because it consistently sounds like the band is being motivated to do something. And it sounds very urgent. It doesn't sound thought out. Like we spent six months in the studio trying to come up with the perfect sloppy sounding guitar riff. This sounds like somebody or the band as a whole, if they were properly motivated together, got in a room, found something interesting and just started going and I don't know how much of that is Steven. I don't know how much of that is the band as a whole. But it has that same interesting quality that follows Steven into, like, unteachers. Just random enough.
1: Part of it could just be the uh, how it feels like a live show. Like, there's that same energy. I think
2: that's a lot of it. I think the thing that stands out the most to me is not being able to predict what's going to happen next. Uh, because even with bands like training for utopia eventually if you're listening long enough you will get you you'll grab the formula like it'll become apparent to you that this is how this is how they approach writing songs tantrum consistently is not that way i you know obviously i know the records like the back of my hand now but like uh i didn't used to and it used to be a genuinely surprising listen the first few times um because there is no rhyme or reason They'll go from they'll go from a dissonant, chaotic, screamy song uh, to a very slow, heartfelt, almost beautiful sounding melodic, you know, melodic track. And then they'll go pop punk and then they'll go like just straight ahead, like, you know, noise rock. Um, And then some songs are just a mixture of like audio clips and just weird fucking noodling around. You know, it's just and and you could almost accuse it as being like, well, obviously they just didn't have a direction and uh, and everybody loved it because of how crazy it was. But like, I think that everything on the heart is a two headed sperm is is intentional. Yeah, there's definitely a direction to it. Totally. And I think that like, I don't know, I, I this record is very special to me. It's one of my it's one of my favorites uh, in the kind of crazier music uh, music sense.
1: And you can definitely hear traces of it in everything that the dude's doing now. Yeah. Oh, speaking of now, I th- it's kind of weird because I think you showed me the tourist trap show before yeah. I even knew that he had abandoned band in the first place. Mm-hmm. Talk about uh, musical smorgasbord. It is always a delight. I found out so much from that show. Oh, yeah. And I love listening and a, to it. And his and, uh, Tentrum of the Muse has a certain... The way he edits that show... Is almost the way his band like kind of it has that same urgency that Joe was talking about. Absolutely, energy, and you could just tell like just imagine someone who's just so excited to be doing what they're doing. Absolutely, that's 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 really rare in music across the board. I would
2: say, are we ready for modern music 2000? Modern music 2000 is when you look at the cover of this record, it's it's a burning fucking pig's head. That's the first thing that your parents are going to notice, and as they throw the record out onto the street, uh, they'll notice on the back that there is actually a song called "Screw the Christian Industry," um, yes. which Stephen Stephen even told me that he straight up wrote that song just to piss people off. Because um, the interesting thing is that he said in the interview, and I think it, it's relevant here, is that like he said that like whenever they released the heart of a two headed sperm, and they kind of started doing like little tours and. You know tour packages and things like that that like they kind of got this reputation as being this crazy band that like didn't give a damn about anything and would just say anything and do anything um and that they just you know being being pretentious teenagers really kind of liked that (laughs) you know like like really like 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 leaned into that uh pretty hard and so that's how you get a record like modern music where um, largely, they're still doing a lot of the same stuff that they were doing on the heart is a two headed sperm, but now now we're getting into darker tones. We're getting into more um, more weird out territory. You can tell that dude's listening to like a bunch of progressive rock. You know, uh, you know, you know, homie's rocking some King Crimson when he's writing these songs. Hell yeah, <laughs> <You> dude! <know? laughs> and, and and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I love King Crimson, but like. Um, it is, I have to be in a specific mood to listen to this record versus the heart is a two headed sperm, because this record has a much stronger, like if, if, if two headed sperm was a, was a punk more of a punk record, uh, modern music is more of a rock record. Uh, it's more, it's more of like a progressive rock type of type of thing. Uh, every now and again, they'll still flip. They'll completely flip out and do the tantrum thing for a few minutes, um, because you know the word "tantrum" in their band name is not just a clever word that they threw out there. They, they literally throw tantrums on some of these tracks, and um, but this record is overall uh, it's kind of a piss off your parents record. But if you if you can look past that, uh, what you actually have are some really interesting ideas, and are also close enough musically to what Steven was doing in, in in UnTeachers that it makes a whole lot of sense that he went in the direction that he went in after after releasing this. Um, but I, I, it's not my favorite of the two. I don't think it's as crazy. I don't think it's as chaotic. It's chaotic in a different way in that like, if you're a fan of prog rock, you've got like a huge prog boner going on with like all the weird changes and different musical <laughs> directions that they go in. And so it's chaotic in that sense, but not chaotic in the sense of like, you know, spazzy riffs and screaming and and stuff like that.
0: It's definitely more straight ahead. We jammed on this idea for a while. It was a clean idea. I don't know if that's the direction they were wanting to go or if they had enough of the chaos and just wanted to tone it down. Watching a couple of the live videos you can find on YouTube, specifically the later Cornerstone videos, it looks like the band just wanted to jam. They wanted to create a soundscape that might not have been as chaotic on purpose, but the overall theme is the same. It's just not as random as what you're expecting when you're listening to Tantrum of the Muse.
2: Yeah, I think the point is to make you uncomfortable as the listener, and I feel like they largely succeed with they largely succeed in that. Um, special shout out to the song Victoria has a secret. Um, as I, that song actually, I think actually does stand toe to toe with something like
1: a plastic soul impalement by training for Utopia. it's it's Wasn't one that of their the most some of uh, the song that opens up. I forget where this is from, but the clip that's like, okay hey, little girl. I'll sing you a song, something. <laughs> <laughs> and that's unsettling stuff is just all the way through these albums. Yeah, it's like it's like, are you lost, sweetheart? Are you afraid, honey? Yeah, it's creepy. Yeah, it's driving me crazy thinking, thinking about where that is from. But we'll forget about that for now. Basically, that just sets the stage for just the chaos, and all of a sudden, you know, bam! Yeah, now we have some of this screaming. Okay, that's nice.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, like, I think I think both of these bands have. A very interesting and varied body of work it's so like joe and i have covered bands that have 15 plus albums that don't change it up as much as these bands do on two records each <laughs> you know he's not um, wrong you know uh when we just got done talking about Amon on a mark great band every record sounds the same <laughs> you know Fair. um so you will you know and bands like that are totally fine you only need one nile record you know you, you know you, you get the point uh if you only you only need one Amon of Martha record, you only need one Slayer record. Um, but like with bands like Tantrum and Training for Utopia, what I what attracts me to them is the fact that I'm not listening for I'm not necessarily listening to hear something familiar. I think a lot of popular music, rock music, um, more of your general pop and R and B stuff is based on familiarity, whether that be familiarity of the song being played 10 billion times until you can't get it out of your head or um, familiarity maybe to something else that you've heard that's just not quite tangible so your brain just tells you yes no this is the sound that that you want to hear uh these these both of these bands all four of these records we've talked about are completely the antithesis to this screw your musical context listen to this
1: that kind <laughs> <Yeah. of thought. laughs>
2: yeah and if you haven't listened to these records tons of times and memorized them then you're gonna you know you're gonna be you're gonna be nervous when you're listening to them i had the same experience listening to a dillinger escape plan when we was the records that i hadn't heard yet you know anything that wasn't uh miss machine or calculating infinity was a total surprise to me uh and you know these records were very much the same way uh until i memorized them but like I don't know. I guess this is this is where we do it. This is where we do the damn thing uh, at the end of the uh, at the end of the episode, where we talk about which band, which band do you think was the most unhinged or the most unpredictable out of these two bands? Is this our it's final a,
0: thoughts for this particular episode?
2: Yeah, I mean it's not a it's not, and again, this is not a which band I think is better than the other band. It's literally just a which band do we think kind of. Um, made us the most uncomfortable, the band that, that was the most unpredictable out of the two.
0: If you consider unpredictable to be what the band does first and what they follow up the initial release with, I think Training for Utopia is more unexpected. You go from chaotic hardcore at its core, what very well could be the origin of the style at least in the Christian music industry, to we're going to write some metal-esque songs that get remixed and we release the remix. Nobody's expecting that. Not in 1999. At the same time, Tantrum of the Muse, they give you what is arguably more of an artistic record first, and then they mellow out after that. You're still getting the melodic overtones, the indie rock overtones, even with the second record, which is a little more of a jam than a, this is how chaotic we're gonna be on stage with our sound clips. So between the two, who is the more unhinged? I hate to say it, the answer is Tantrum of the Muse because they're creating a soundscape that can be mellow or it can be loud or it can be crazy. Whereas Training for Utopia doesn't sound like they're doing anything other than creating a record that will eventually get played live. How are they going to play the remixes live? Are they going to be able to play them live? Could you go see Training for Utopia and hear the full versions of those songs, unedited, uncut? Or was it a lot of listen to this guy's tape machine? Clearly, you'd have to listen to the tape machine if Tantrum of the Muse is playing live. But at the same time... They can still play a
2: set without it. We've seen it. It's on YouTube. Well, and I don't necessarily think that either band had the budget uh, to to be able to put on the full scale, you know, uh, live show, so to speak. These bands, unfortunately, in these years, were playing very small clubs uh, to a very limited amount of people. Uh, So, you know, to that point, I think both of them probably had their own way of doing things live.
1: Yeah, I guess uh, as far as which one is more unhinged, I mean, you got Training for Utopia on one hand, which they've always come across to me like I've, I've picked up on the, the ambient qualities right off the bat. You know, the unsettling, almost dark ambient quality of stuff like Black Forest, combined with some of the more uh, industrial elements you see later on, and uh, throwing a wrench. Yeah, and then you got Training, and then after Training for Utopia, you Tantrum of the Muse. And it's, it's much more, there's more energy involved, more frenetic. I mean, I have to say, which is more unhinged? Well, I think unhinged as far as just something that's out of control. Yeah. I mean, Tantrum of the Muse, definitely. What disturbs me more? TFU still. It's because of that unsettling, creepy, almost horror movie nature of some of the tracks. Beyond that, uh, unhinged, yeah. But they're both unhinged in different ways.
0: Do you think Tantrum of the Muse is more implied chaos versus training for utopia's actual chaos
1: i think that it's 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 actually much more in your face about the chaos aspect it's uh you know it might be just because i feel a lot of my depth sometimes whenever i talk about anything remotely punk influenced because i haven't really listened to that much punk in my life it's one of those things like you know well i recognize it when i see it but beyond that (laughs) you know i i feel a lot of my depth about that So, Mike, are you saying
0: uh, Tantrum of the Muse is the supervillain who goes on and on about what he's going to do to you while you're tied up and hanging from the ceiling and training for Utopia is House of a Thousand Corpses, where you better run,
1: but you're not going to get far. You're not going to get far, and you're just going to be subjected to surreal scenes, and a clown is going to demand that you say, well, (laughs) that's from Double Rejects, but isn't he (laughs) fucking funny? (laughs) I mean, at a certain point. I mean that's what Ryan, that's what Ryan Clark seems to be asking uh, <laughs> in single-handed attempt at revolution. So I don't know, Dan. I, I think
2: more I think that training for Utopia is like Leatherface, right? So like if 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 training for Utopia is Leatherface, they should they they open up a hidden door in the house and bludgeon you in the head with a hammer and then pull you screaming and throw you onto a meat hook. It's all very obvious. It's very in your face. It's very visceral. Uh, when they do a little dance too, yeah. But then, like <laughs> tantrum of the muse is like Freddy Krueger. He's gonna play with you a little bit. He's gonna crack some jokes while he's <laughs> ripping you apart, you know. Uh, and he's 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 going to you know build up the horror aspect of it, you know, because um, that that's how that's how in my mind the two themes is. Um, mu- I'm talking strictly musically here when I when I say this. Um, I would consider them. I would consider. Training for Utopia to be violence. And I would consider Tantrum of the Muse to be horror. And I think that it's very important to make those distinctions whenever we're kind of talking about this, because again, one is very visceral, one's in your face. There's no question about what's happening. Uh, Whereas Tantrum will kind of tease you, sometimes lead you into a false sense of security, and then tear the song completely to pieces, you know, right before your eyes. And you're not necessarily expecting it you know, you know what band you're listening to, so you know that it's gonna like something's going to happen, but you're not entirely sure. You're not entirely sure what is going to happen. Um, so like fear, ominous qualities, like TFU, and then versus raw terror, which is tantrum. Sort of, and of course they both they both kind of embody. And th- this was hard because, and I hadn't, I intentionally made sure that I hadn't really come to my conclusion until we kind of talked about it. Um, but as far as who's more unhinged, the most unhinged, the person that I'm afraid of is the person that I can't predict. And the person that I can't predict is tantrum of the muse. Whereas okay. I can kind of, I can kind of get where demon hunters coming from, not demon hunter. Uh, I can kind of get where training for utopia <laughs> is coming from. Freudian uh, slip. I do i do this all the time man if they're if we're ever talking about a band where the singer or somebody else was in another popular band i always refer to them as the other band every single time just go see the <laughs> devil driver episode where i f- continuously referred to them as Cold chamber and then the Cold chamber episode where i referred to them only as devil driver uh <laughs> but like that's your Dr- brain is trying to fuck with you at this point absolutely it's trying to ma- it's trying to take me down a couple notches for sure but, uh, yeah, I got to give the edge to Tantrum as far as being the most unhinged um, because Train for Utopia is cool, but they just don't mess with me psychologically the way the Tantrum does. And uh, and I love that. And I also like when we're talking about lyrics, um, I feel like Trainings lyrics are very, very insipid and very, very um, almost uh, like just so acidically sarcastic. I'll show and dark. you. <laughs> they are. Yeah. They are. But at the same time, they also come across as being kind of more immature. And Tantrum's lyrics are very immature as well, but in more of a, yeah, that's right. We said that. Whereas, so like a with- genuinely fun way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, hey, guess what? We're super immature and uh, you're going to be all about it for the next half hour.
0: That might be uh, the what- reason why they're not more unhinged
2: because they're all talk. <laughs> I don't know about all that, uh, but uh, <laughs> <now> I'm just <laughs> we're going in circles. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: no, I mean, I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna go there, but I gotta give the edge to Tantrum just because I do think that they're overall a quote unquote crazier band, uh, just because of the unpredictability factor. The fear of the unknown is stronger than the fear of the known. Um, and yes, I'm sorry, I've been listening to a lot of Lovecraft on Audible this month, but it is, it, it's true. Like the, the not knowing what's gonna happen is scarier to me and more uncomfortable to listen to and by proxy fun uh than maybe something like a training for utopia and obviously i love both bands for very different reasons uh but you know for for the sake of this episode i'm gonna have to give the edge the tantrum as far as being the crazier of the two despite not being the heaviest of the two or the most extreme musically
1: of the two
0: mike are you sticking with training for utopia
1: as far as the most uh unhinged no no, it's the difference between what creeps me out and what I think is genuinely insane. T.F.U. still creeps me out, but I have a, a Tantrum of the Muse is a fun romp. I don't know, it's more unhinged, <laughs> but it's a fun romp. It sounds like we
0: agree for discussmetal.com. The Too more really? unhinged band is Tantrum of the Muse. Our opinion. Oh yeah. Let us know if we're right. Let us know if we're wrong. Let us know if you disagree or if you agree. Dan's going to tell you where
1: you can tell us that at the end of the show. Mike, what's your album of the week? Ooh, ah, David Parsons, Dorji Ling, Tibetan dark ambient, throat singing, but like aliens doing it. It's fun. I'm intrigued. Dan, what about
2: you? Uh, I decided to dig into Cackle again this week because it's just been way too long and uh i'm still a very very big fan of their record which is called uh multilateral uh it's one of their newest ones and um it's a very different keckle they they, they've they've stopped they have this band hasn't been black metal in almost over in almost a decade now so uh now they're making more of this like weird electronic progressive rock metal type stuff and it's it's very it's a fun listen for me it's alice cooper billion dollar babies nice i love the dead Take us out, DFT. If you've ever been listening to this podcast and you want to give us suggestions on what bands you'd like us to cover in the future or if you just want to tell us that we're wrong, uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. You can send us an email at, at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook facebook.com slash discographydiscussion. You can tweet at us at discuss metal you can join our Discord server. There'll be a link in the show notes that'll take you right to our Discord server. You can join the Discography Discussion official group on Facebook. We are doing a lot more live stuff lately. So I've been on twitch.tv slash Metal Dan uh, for the past several months, streaming whatever video game I decide to play. I'm currently in the middle of Black Mesa, which is a, uh, a remake of the original Half-Life in the uh, Half-Life 2 engine. So I'm about I'm I'm on mission nine of 18, and uh, in case in case you're wondering why you would want to watch me play a video game. Um, I'm not very good at solving puzzles in video games, so it's very helpful when you guys show up and are like, hey, idiot, go plug the thing into the thing. How are you missing this? Uh, And that, that, that helps me feel like a smart person for finishing the game. So check us out on Twitch. Check out my other show, Brutally Speaking, where we do tons and tons of live stuff. We will have more information on Brutally Speaking coming up in 2021.
0: And on that note, this has been episode 195 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please, send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one. At Patreon.com forward slash DiscussMetal, we have some sweet perks. I like money. $1 a month gets you into that exclusive album review feed. Mike, can I get a chaos?
2: Chaos. Yes. Like song for hedgehog. Chaos
1: control.